Hi, you're now listening to a sermon from Harvest Community Church in Hoffman Estates, Illinois. We're happy to bring you sermons like this one every week. You can find other sermons at our site at harvest-community.org. So without further ado, here's our speaker. What God has laid on my heart comes out of life. Give away my age. My senior year in high school, back in my home state of Missouri, I had a cousin born named Roger. Roger was named after Roger Maris because his father was Roger Maris's insurance agent. while he was in Kansas City before he went to New York. Roger lived up to his name. Roger was Hollywood handsome. He was extremely athletic, had a great personality. Roger became a high school teacher and a coach. As a young adult, he became a Christian and became active in faith. I was privileged a few years ago to do his wedding. He married a starlet. She was absolutely beautiful, but why not? Because he was really handsome. (laughs) They had two children. And you can imagine what they look like. Over the past month or two, Roger's faith had deepened. And he and God were working some things out. But last month, on a Thursday afternoon, Roger took his own life. Leaving a senior in high school and an eighth grader. The senior is a daughter The eighth grader is a son. The eighth grader and daughter inherited dad's athletic prowess. The eighth grader to the point that the high school petitioned his family this year to allow him to play varsity football as an eighth grader in a very large system. But his parents had said, no, we need him to have another year of just being a child. This plunged me again into a topic God has had me working on personally and professionally for about the last 10 years. So... 
Hope you brought a lunch. <laughs> the topic is finishing well. How do we as Christians finish well? And I look out over this audience and most of you aren't worried about finishing well. You don't think. But finishing well is like a relay race. Every leg of the race builds into the next. And the handoffs, the transitions, are critical. And you can drop the baton at any level, at any time. And the race is over. Roger had made some wonderful choices in his life. But he also made painful choices. Many of which had just come to light and had already cost him a job that he had spent years trying to get, being a vice principal of a high school. He wanted to get into administration and he had finally landed it only to have the poor choices in his life taken away from him. The poor choices in his life was taking his marriage away and ultimately would have separated him from the children that he loved dramatically. So Roger made one final critical, harmful, hurtful decision. He took the pain medication he had been saving up over years and went to a little bitty town and checked to a little old flophouse motel and swallowed the pills and suicide. Why is it so difficult to finish well? I've been in ministry close to 50 years. That's a claim on age two, right? The past couple of years, God has opened up a whole new, not new ministry, but intense ministry of doing funerals. I average 110 funerals a year. Obviously, the people I do funeral for do not have church homes. Some have just recently fallen off the race, maybe the last 10 years or so. Others have never, ever been in the race. And most of these people never, ever, ever finish well. In the sense of bringing their earthly ministry to a conclusion and transitioning with Jesus to their ministry of all eternity. Now, I hate to have such a downer message, 
but it's what God has really put on my heart. What does it look like to finish well? Let's go to Jesus. Now, sometimes the whole verse will be there, but I might not read it. Other times it just might be the reference. Let's see, I think I need to go back one, all right? Okay, thank you. The first thing about Jesus and finishing well, lesson to us. Jesus said that he always kept his eyes on God, the Father. Whatever he saw God the Father doing, that's what he did. And the biblical reference is right there. So it's quite simple. Jesus says, that's it. And this has always been the key of my ministry. As I walk from my house today over, here's my prayer. And this is the standard prayer. Whenever God calls me out to a crisis in the community, whenever God calls me anywhere, driving there, this is my prayer. Father, once again, I give you my stupidity. Because I have no clue what I'm going to do. And we have an agreement. You show up, and I'm going to watch and see what you're doing, and then I'll do it. And the first time that doesn't happen, I retire. And the Father knows that. So that was my prayer as I come across. I said, okay, Father, here we go again. There's many out here today that are much better scholars than I, much better speakers than I. But the deal is, God wants me to do it, so I'm going to do it. Secondly, it was always God who made Jesus look good. Jesus didn't try to make himself look good. In fact, Jesus says, if I bring glory to myself, that's all I get. Pure and simple. So if we're going to finish well, we have to trust God. Roger was afraid that if somebody saw the real Roger, they wouldn't like him. And so he hid. He hid behind performance. He hid behind family. He hid behind church. He hid. And the thing that probably has crushed me the most is the fact that I really didn't know Roger and I wished I had. I haven't lived by him for most of his life. But I really wished I'd have known him. Jesus expressed his thoughts and feelings to the Father. The passage I picked was out of Gethsemane. And I think that is so critical. Because here's the plan. It says, on three occasions, Jesus says quite plainly to the Father, 
if it at all be possible, let's do this another way. Right? If, if, it, if it all be possible, let me win. <laughs> right? If it all be possible, let me ride into town on the white charger and cut the heads off of those boogers. Right? Huh? If at all possible, let me say, I'm going to Disneyland. Right? But, now, anytime in the Greek language there's the word but, it's gar, G-A-R. It's used exactly the same way we use it in English. But says, disregard everything I've said up to now. Now, as children, we learn this, how to use this word English very quickly. Go apologize to your brother. Go apologize to your sister. I am sorry, but you drive me crazy. <laughs> right? We get it, right? Jesus says, Father, if it all be possible, gar, but... Nevertheless, what? Your will be done. Nevertheless, Luke adds, that the intensity of this experience was so that the very sweat of Jesus turned to blood as it fell to the ground. Now, let's contrast it to the world's understanding of finishing well. Look in the top right. Okay, wait a minute. Let me go over one. Look in the top right. Okay, there we are. Okay. The fabulous three. Right? The team that is supposed to be what? Multiple, multiple, multiple championships. Right? Huh? Yeah. Oh, that's what they say, right? Yeah. Isn't that what LeVon promised? Yeah? That's what he promised. Well, they go down in 2010 as having finished well? <laughs> no. On the other side are who? The Mavericks. In our eyes, they finished well. Why? They won. Will Longo go down having finished well in Calgary? No. In fact, I don't imagine he's living at home this year. I think he's probably back in his native land. Right? But the Bruins, oh, they finished well. And then there's our beloved Packers. This is for Jared. <laughs> My friend. Goes down as finishing well. Why? Because they won it all. That's the world's understanding. 
Contrast that to the prayer of Jesus in the garden, right? Father, if at all possible, I would like to go down like the Mavericks, like the Bruins, like the Packers, not like the Cubs. (laughs) Right? That's how I'd really like to go down. But nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Real quickly, the Apostle Paul, his example. Paul reminds us that our life's purpose is to complete the mission that God's laid out before us. He says, I don't consider my life as meaning anything at all but to do one thing. That's to do what God has called me to do. And he says that really the key is to remain faithful. He says, I've fought the good fight. I've finished the race, but this is what's important. I remained faithful. It is God who will bring our mission to completion. I'm sure that God, he says, who began a good work in you will let it continue until it is finally finished on that day when Christ Jesus comes back. Several years ago, I was a chaplain also with the federal agency, Alcohol, Tobacco, Farms, and Explosives. This one, we got to go into the big things. I was a day from New York. It was really Neat. God protect me in so many ways. I was one day from having to go to New York for 9-11. I was one day from my rotation to Columbine. In other words, they finished one day before I was to go. So I was one day on a lot of these. But I made some other events. One of the fun things we got to do is here locally is we had a program called the Great Program where we went into schools, especially in the inner city, but some in the suburbs, in which it was like D.A.R.E. D.A.R.E. tries to tell the children not to get involved in drugs. Great tries to tell children don't get involved in gangs. So I got to go to a great graduation and say a prayer and then watch as the children got their diplomas. And it was a fun time, lots of fun. I went to this Catholic high school in the city. And there's this little feeble man with his collar on that came in and come to find out he was the pastor of the church and he had to be 80. And every one of these junior high kids all fought to sit next to him. And I thought, oh my gosh, they're going to kill this guy. (laughs) I mean, literally, they were pushing and shoving, all wanting to sit in the father. So I went up to him after the ceremony and I said, are you the pastor of this parish? He said, I'm the pastor. I said, I thought you guys retired at 70. He said, well, he said, those old sissy sissy diocesan priests, they retire at 70. He said, we Jesuits, we retire three days after we die. So I came back and told Vicki, I've got a new mantra. That's my mantra. 
I'm going to retire three days after I die. But isn't that a great concept? That's finishing well, isn't it? So, why is this so difficult? I'm going to do a real quick excursion into theology. This is so you know I went to seminary. <laughs> and I'm going to use one big word so that you'll really be impressed. Okay? For you theologians that would like to discuss this further, I would love to sit with you. And we can talk on this for hours. The Interpreter's Dictionary of the Bible states... Salvation in the New Testament is eschatological. Now, that's the big word. Now, what that means is quite simply this. Our salvation is a future reality which we get to enjoy even now through faith. To say that God saves us means that He will save us. The paradox is we Inherit salvation now, even now. Not yet. In other words, we don't get the full shebang now. We're saved by reason of God's coming salvation, which was realized in history in the life, death, resurrection, ascension of Jesus. The scripture reference is 1 Peter 3, 5. It says, Praise be the Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance. Now think about that. Here's the future. That can never perish, spoil, fade. It's kept for us in heaven who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. The Bible says when we become Christians, we become a new creation. Behold, the old has passed away. We sang about that. It's a wonderful song. I believe that fully. But what our text doesn't tell us is that that is our final destination. Why we have such a difficult time is we are divided until heaven. We're schizophrenic. Now, I'm glad my wife is in teaching today because she would not like my using that word. She's the professional counselor. I'm not. But I think we understand the word schizophrenic. The scripture text of the morning is quite simply this. The whole context is Romans 7, verses 7 through 25. We're going to look at the last verses of it. And uh, did you already turn there for me? Okay. Paul, earlier in that chapter, says, I really don't understand myself. Now, see if this stands to you. This is my testimony. I decide one way then I act another 
I do things I absolutely despise. And the verse is on the screen. He says it happens so regularly that it's predictable. I'm reading out of the message translation. The moment I decide to do good, sin is there to trip me up. I truly delight in God's commands, but it's pretty obvious that not all of me joins in that delight. Parts of me covertly rebel. And just when I least expect it, they take over. I've tried everything and nothing helps. I'm at the end of my rope. Is there no one who can do anything for me? Now, isn't that the real question? That was Roger's question. And he didn't get the answer. The answer, thank God, is that Jesus Christ can and does. He acted to set things right in his life of contradictions. Where I want to serve with God with all my heart and mind, but am pulled by the influence of sin to do something totally different. So we ask ourselves again, why is finishing well so difficult? Our divided selves war within us. Now, it didn't take me long to figure this out in my Christian life. The first 10 years of my Christian experience were at a little country church. Have you ever been to a little country church? My little country church was one room that had wires that went down the center of it and to the side to split it off into classrooms. The men's class met under the shade tree in the front yard. Now, that class would never, ever turn in a record of attendance. But you could always figure out, because you went out and you counted the cigarette butts and divided by three. <laughs> and that was how many were in the men's class. My little church had electricity. It meant that we had a Romex wire that went down the center of it with three lights that came down. That was electricity. No Indoor plumbing. You know what that means? Outhouses. So a lot of the kids didn't fight to go to the washroom. <laughs> they waited till they got home. Which it meant when I got saved, we obviously didn't baptize in the church, right? Where did we baptize? Hebow Creek. In the biggest mud hole close to my grandfather's farm. Now I learned real quickly the dilemma of my salvation. I went into the water of baptism. And as the choir was singing on the shoreline, not choir, the church... 
and giving testimonies of praise. Then the pastor lowered me underneath the water. And when I came up, I really didn't feel clean. I was muddy. I wasn't white as snow. I was brown as mud. But I felt clean. Pardon me. I felt clean. I felt alive. I felt powerful. Then I had to walk out of the water. And I stepped on a very large, sharp rock. 30 seconds after I was a new creation, I said, Oh, shh. Obviously, the old self wasn't totally done away with. Right? So I learned that process of confession, 10 seconds, with inside my Christian experience. I learned that my old self was there to always remind me that it was not dead until Jesus came again. And it could embarrass me at any time. Throughout my ministry, I've encouraged many, many people that have fought this same thing. Many fight it because of addiction. Roger had a major addiction in his life he never addressed. Addictions come in all sorts of forms. Alcohol, drugs, spending, sex, food, religion. Some of those addictions are brought on by trauma. In other words, someone has hurt me and therefore I develop this addiction to cover up the pain of my hurt. When we become Christians, sometimes, divinely, our addictions are taken away from us. But most of the time, they remain and have to be dealt with to the rest of our lives. I served on the staff of the First Baptist Church of Bellevue, Nebraska, before we moved here. It was an Air Force church, primarily. 99.9% Air Force personnel and their families. Our church turned over, now think about this, every three years. At that time, military families were moved every three years. So we got a brand new church every third year, or, or, or put it this way, we had a third of a new church every year. So here's the deal. There was a couple that came to us from my home state of Missouri, and they um, really latched on to me because I was home to them. She was beautiful. In fact, their first year on base, she won Mrs. Offutt Air Force Base. And that triggered an addiction coming from being dormant, back active in her life. And a month later, her husband was sent TDY, temporary duty yonder, 
where he was sent to another base and he stayed there for a month. So she was at home by herself. When he came back after that month and he showed up at their house, she wasn't there. And there was a note from her that she had fallen madly in love with a higher-ranking officer and moved into his house while he had been gone for that month. He was devastated. Sought me out. I plugged him in with his deacon. They started working out the situation. She had sued for divorce. He hadn't been served over there. He got served when he got back. It was over. A couple months later, the deacon called me one day and said, Alan, I'll call him Wayne. That wasn't his name. He said, Wayne's doing a lot better. And I said, great, why? Well, I don't know. I said, well, talk to him, find out why Wayne's doing better. So he called me back and he said, I discovered why Wayne's doing better. He's got a girlfriend. I said, cool. What about her? I don't know. I said, well, find out about his girlfriend. Okay. He calls back and he said, Alan, she's a waitress at the casino in Council Bluffs. Now, we knew from the advertisements all the waitresses at the casino worked topless. So I said, I think we need to talk with Wayne and see if we've got a rebound situation here going. And we called him in, or his deacon did. I said, Wayne, tell me about your new girlfriend. And he said to his deacon, oh, it's so wonderful. She's a Christian and she's a Sunday school teacher. So he called me and I said, does she teach in our Sunday school? <laughs> he said, no, not in ours. You see, Wayne was getting ready to do what? To make another harmful choice. Wayne got a whole lot out of having a beautiful woman by his side. His divided self needed that. For over six years, I was on staff as an on-call pastor for Willow Creek. That means that for the hours that I worked, people phoned from all over the world or would stop by for face-to-face -to, -face to talk with a pastor. So you have to admit that a lot of times I was saying those words to the Father, if you don't show up, we're both going to be embarrassed. If, if you don't understand this conversation, Father, we're in trouble because they're over my head. I want to just give you real quickly just some of the juicy ones. One, I had a man call me from Boston. He'd been in a relationship homosexually with a partner for over 10 years. And he called because his partner was now demanding that he have a sex change operation. We had another man, a local businessman, who had phoned different pastors hoping to get a different answer. And his question was always this, why can't I have sex with my girlfriend? Are you married? No. Nope. Well, you can when you get married. 
So he'd call back, see if he'd get another camp, you know, pastor until he got one that would give the answer he wanted. We never got one he wanted. Had a woman that called, totally distraught. She had met the man of her life. They had gone through Christian counseling. They had gone through everything to put their marriage in perfect order. Now they were getting ready to have their family and she couldn't get pregnant. And the doctor had told her it was because there was too much scar tissue from the abortions of her previous life that she never would get pregnant. Parents who would call almost going into foreclosure because their children had run up debts because of their addictions. Men who had been physically abused by their wives. I was at a restaurant one Saturday and there was a couple going at it. And the wife had a T-shirt on that sent chills through me. And I thought, my, hope my wife never buys this T-shirt. It says, I don't get even. I just win. <laughs> so forth and so on. The question becomes, it's ugly. What can we do about it? Two real quick things. One, the process is quite simply. We daily open ourselves to God. Romans 7 was the answer. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. We start there. We daily ask God to allow us to see more of who we really are. Confess anything that is outside of His righteousness. And then commit all of we know about ourselves to all that we know about the Father. That is the definition of total commitment. Total commitment is a daily process where I take what I now know about me and I commit to all I know about my Heavenly Father. Paul said to the Philippians, continue to work out your salvation. The author of Hebrews says, Now that we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witness, throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and run with perseverance the race marked out, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the Father. Secondly, we open ourselves to God's family, the church. Hebrews says, one, see that none of you have a sinful, unbelieving heart. Encourage one another. Hebrews 25, 10, 25 says, show up at church. Show up at small group. Encourage one another. But James 5 is the passage. If anyone of you is in trouble, he should pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone sick? Should call the elders of the church and pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. 
Here's the other one. If anyone has sinned, they'll be forgiven. The conclusion, he says, therefore this. And here's the rub. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man, righteous person, is effective. If Roger would have been able to open himself to God's people, I believe he would have been able to make different choices. He would have been able to got help with his addiction. He would not have had the need to hide and run away from reality. He would have been able to embrace himself as a child, deeply loved and made good by the Father. He would have discovered that even his sin was not able to separate him from the love of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he would have become more than a conqueror through Jesus who loved him and loved us. And he would have been free to complete his mission on earth and finish well. This morning, are you a Roger hiding among your church family, afraid to believe that we, by the grace of God, would be able to love the real you. Do not let the devil rob you of the joy of your salvation and hold you hostage. Open yourself, the real one, to God and God's family. Make the choice that will heal you and not harm you. Father, I really don't know why you had me preach this, but you had a reason. And you know I told you many, many times that I wish that I could have just preached something a whole lot more joyous. And you said, but Alan, this is what I want you to preach. And I said, okay. You've promised that your word will never return to you void. So I simply ask you to work in the life of whoever you wanted me to speak this to today. And give them the courage to make healthy choices. I pray in the name of Jesus. Thanks for listening to the sermon from Harvest Community Church. If you would like more information or have any questions or comments, check out our website at harvest-community.org. Thanks for listening.